Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and we are just delighted to be able to continue to connect uh, in, in whatever way we are able to. And so we're happy if you're on our online dashboard, if you're on Facebook or YouTube, uh, we really are just thrilled that we're able to connect. And so uh, thank you for taking the time and making the space to do that. Um, will you please join me as I pray? Dear God, we give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. Uh, we ask that uh, you would be with us and that we would continue to grow and learn and flourish together uh, and that we would become more like you. Yeah, I ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and are getting ready to celebrate the new year and, uh, and that you're enjoying this season that we call Christmas Tide. Um, we came uh, through the season of Advent, which is the four weeks, four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it's this time of waiting, and we even called it, we, we have this liturgy or this practice of waiting. And, um, uh, and then Christmas Tide is, the, is the, the celebration of the arrival of Jesus. And so Advent means uh, the arrival of, the, the becoming, the, the, the appearing. Uh, and so it's all about the, the appearing and the, the becoming of Christ. And so we now um, enter this time where we get to, to celebrate that. Advent is a season of waiting, anticipating, and Christmas tide is, is the time to celebrate that. And I want to just for a moment talk about uh, liturgy. And, and why we do these things and why it's, it's important. Um, when we were going through Advent and we would mention this, this, this liturgy of waiting, uh, one of the things we noticed is that uh, this, this past nine months, and, and longer in some ways and, and shorter for others and, and different things, there's, there's waiting that happens in our lives. And, and this practice of waiting, it actually helps us be able to engage with those times uh, in, in some different ways. And I have a quote by uh, Eugene Peterson that I think really helps explain this. It says the following. Uh, liturgy gathers the community as it reads the Holy Scriptures into the sweeping tidal rhythms of the church year in which the story of Jesus makes its round century after century. The large and easy interior rhythms of a year that moves from birth, life, death, resurrection on to spirit, obedience, faith, and blessing. Without liturgy, we lose the rhythms and end up tangled up in the jerky, ill-timed, and insensitive interruptions of PR campaigns, school openings and closings, sales days, tax deadlines, inventory, etc. And Advent is buried under shopping days before Christmas, getting to the next event, and more. Liturgy keeps us in touch with the story as it defines and shapes our beginnings, ends, our living and dying, our rebirths, and blessing in the Holy Spirit. I really love that quote because what it does is it helps us understand that liturgy is not designed to remove us from our day-to-day -day lives, but it's a space for us to be able to engage with and prepare and, and go back into our day-to-day -day lives and really do that in, in ways that are helpful. And so everything we do here is, is try to 
we try to set it up in ways that facilitate those moments where we practice these things when we're uh, gathered together like this so that as we go into our day-to-day lives, we're not distant or pulled away or separated, but we actually go in equipped with and knowing the story uh, and better able to navigate our, our day-to-day lives. And so, again, it's not to remove us, but more to, to anchor us as we go into those things. And I think the, the story of Advent really portrays this well. Right? The, the things that we talk about, the things that we discuss, and how we've moved through this Advent season, uh, I know for me, were super helpful uh, for this time. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, the, last, uh, the last item in our uh, Honest Advent series, and it's, uh, it's called Participation. Um, and, and so we're going to discover uh, what that means uh, and, and how that looks as a follower of Jesus. Uh, the advent of Jesus and what we call the incarnation, Jesus becoming a human being, I think speaks volumes to this idea of participation. And so what I want to do for a few moments is walk us through some of the things we've already been through just to, to bring all those things back into our space um, and, then, uh, and then move from there. And so we're going to go through some of the things you've already heard probably several times in our sermons, in the Christmas pageant, in the Christmas Eve service, in your own engagement with Advent, um, in the, and again in the songs we've sung. But but I want to go through them again. I think it'll just be helpful. And so we're going to start today looking at Luke 1, 26 through 38. If you have a Bible, you can open up to there. You can also follow along on the screen or on our online dashboard. You can hit the Bible tab uh, and, and you can navigate to uh, this section. It's Luke 1, 26 through 38. And it says the following. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In this passage, we have angel visitations, which we have all kinds of ideas about what that might be like but we really don't know right what what, what did the angel look like how did the angel appear what did the angel sound like we have the author's best attempts to to give us some 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 pieces but it's really a place where i think god allows our imagination to kind of run we have a a virgin being told she's going to conceive and that god's going to father a human child through her. This is all craziness, absolute craziness. But that's how Luke 
starts the story. If we look at John, in John 1, 1 through 14, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. In this account, we have the creative word of God. The one who made not just the world, but the universe become flesh and make the dwelling place among us. The ideas that we are being asked to grapple with here are so huge. If we go to Matthew, in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, make Mary, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, what's with the angels? continuing angels, right? And we don't know what, again, what they look like, sound like, how it works, but they're appearing and they're communicating. We also have a guy named Joseph who's of the line of King David. An angel is quoting scripture in this crazy dream, and Joseph then makes an equally, I believe, crazy decision. And lastly, Luke 2, 8 through 15 says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Once again, more angels. This thing called the glory of the Lord. Terrified shepherds. Good news. Great joy. A baby in a manger. And again, this repeated phrase, do not be afraid. All of this is this buildup. There's lots of words, lots of messages. But when it comes to the actual birth of Christ, there's not much that is said. If we go to Luke 2, 6 through 7, right before the last passage we read, this is what it says. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It's 42 words, two verses. There's no conversations happening. There's no prophets, no angels, no scripture being quoted, no voices from heaven. Just the declaration of an event, a moment, an action. And this is where we get to participation. Because I'm going to define participation as simply living out what you believe. Now, there's all kinds of different ways to think about participation, and, and some people will say, well, you have to have like, something you're going to in order to participate. But I want to push this, that um, every one of us is participating, whether we believe it or not, whether we like it or not, or whether we want to or not. Every single one of us is participating just by living out what we believe. Participation is belief expressed in action. I got to see a wonderful example of this, uh, hear about a great example of this in a, a Zoom meeting with my, uh, with my family uh, over, over the holidays. And we were all gathered together and talking about um, the question posed to us was, 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 tell us all something that you've learned. And uh, I get to brag on, uh, I have a handful of sister-in-laws and they're all fantastic. Uh, but this one in particular, it's Diana. And she was talking about how she, uh, two or three times a week, takes their dog for a walk uh, to Safeway and it's about a mile away. And, uh, and she was commenting on how she learned that there's just a lot of garbage on the, on the road walking to Safeway and back. And, um, and when she said this, I could feel in myself stirring a lot of things because there, there are a lot of things in our city right now that are very difficult and, and there's places where there's tons of garbage that a lot of us believe doesn't belong there, right? And some of us believe it's okay that it's there but we don't like it. There's all kinds of things that it, it represents and, and that we can think about. But what I was really uh, moved by was Diana's response to that. She didn't just say, well, there's a ton of garbage and I hate it and it shouldn't be there. 
Someone needs to come clean that up. Someone needs to do something about that. She just decided every time she goes for a walk, she brings a garbage bag and she picks up the garbage. She gets to Safeway, puts it in the garbage can and then heads home. It was beautiful and, and, and wonderful that she was like, I, I can participate in helping. I can do something to, to, to move this in, in, in a better direction. I can be active. I can have my beliefs expressed in action. But what does it mean then that God would do something like this? We hear throughout scriptures tons of times where God says something. In the beginning of the Bible, we read that God speaks and the universe is formed. We read that God speaks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God speaks to Abraham. He says, leave your home and leave your family. God speaks to Moses at the burning bush. And God, it says, speaks to Moses like a man would to his friend. And there's so many more moments where God speaks. But then why in this moment does God not say anything yet communicate so much? No words articulated, no command given, no promise or covenant spoken, only this single act, an event, a moment of time, and a child, Emmanuel, God with us. What is God saying and not saying anything? One of the things I've learned, I think most of us have learned, is that words aren't always the best or the only way to communicate something. And words often alone are not enough. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of officiating weddings. And, uh, and although I don't get to spend much time with the bride right before the wedding, I get to spend some time with the groom. And I can tell you the, the groom doesn't have to say anything to me to let me know how he's feeling, right? His actions, the look in his eyes, the, the, what he's doing all speaks more than his words would. And also, the look on the bride and groom's face when the bride enters the room and the groom turns and looks and the bride looks and it's as if nothing else exists. One of my favorite songs is by a band called the Cowboy Junkies and it has a lyric that says, have you ever seen a sight as beautiful as a face in a crowd of people that lights up just for you? The look on their faces as they dance their first dance. Maybe when parents look at each other after a child has been born. Or maybe sitting next to someone who has lost someone close to them. I got to witness in a, another Zoom meeting, which I'm so thankful for we can do that, uh, someone uh, proposed to their significant other. It was amazing, right? And it, and it brought so much joy to the group. And, and we were all sitting there and the, and the person said, oh wait, I have one more gift. And as soon as they did that, no one said anything, but everyone was communicating volumes, right? You could see the looks on their faces. Oh, huh? is this it? Is it good? Oh my gosh, we all knew what was coming, but we didn't say any of it because we just, words wouldn't capture it and it felt like you'd be violating something if you started saying something, right? But, but our actions, our presence, and our being allowed to be present and participate in that moment 
said so much. And God in this moment communicates something that is lasting, living, and eternally present with us. And you've heard us talk about this before, but Jesus is an eternal word. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about right at the beginning, it says God has spoken to us in the past through the prophets and in all these various ways, but in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, who is through whom he created the universe and is the exact representation of his being, and through whom he keeps and sustains all things. But the idea here is because Jesus is living, has been resurrected from the dead, that it is an eternal word that's always with us. And so this message that couldn't be just summed up in words, love so all-encompassing, so all-embracing, so never-ending, had to be sort of lived out and continued to be lived out beyond the limit of words with an act of incarnation and the ongoing eternal message of God's yes and with us to all people. That God became one of us and God remains one of us and soon will reign as one of us. Love so big, so grand is forever embodied by the message I am with you as one of you lived out in Jesus because those words are just symbols that point to the reality of God's actions. So what does it mean that God places himself as a human within God's own creation, as part of that creation? It's the embodiment of intimacy, the fullest expression of being with another. When a person steps into someone else's world in order to be with them, to know them, to experience what they experience, to learn with and from, we remember that Jesus learned from other people. He learned to speak and walk and eat. He learned to be a craftsman and a carpenter and a ton of other things. But when we look at the start of it, it doesn't seem maybe like what we would think of as being typical for, for the, the story of royalty, for the story of the creator of the universe, for the story of the Son of God. We have a poor young couple of a royal line, but not living that, not recognized really as that. They're out of wedlock, pregnancy, and a pregnancy not only out of wedlock, but not by the husband, pregnant by God. Shepherds and wise men, highly educated and also lowly stragglers, born in the midst of family craziness and a full house nuts with so full that they had to go downstairs to the animal room, a family on the run, certainly exciting, but definitely not becoming of a king, let alone the king of kings. But this was the mark of Jesus' life. Jesus didn't hang out with the quote-unquote right people. He didn't set up in a palace. He was homeless for part of his life at least, and he died a criminal's death. It is this life that starts in this moment of God's that is too big to contain with words that we are invited to, 
And I would add that we must also embody and live out. Because if it's just words, we can ignore different aspects of it. But when it's more than that, when it's more than just the words, we start to feel and hear things differently. Shane Claiborne says, how can we worship a man who was homeless on Sunday and ignore the homeless people around us the rest of the week? That's the kind of thing we start to hear when we realize what Jesus actually did, what God actually did. That they aren't just words, but this is a life, a moment, a participation. And what this all means is that God lived out exactly what God is. God lived out love. We read in 1 John that God is love. And God's actions were the embodiment of that, the embodiment of who God is, that God had created humanity out of love and believed that all humankind was very good so that even humanity went in a different direction and started to try to live life apart from God or without God or putting God in a different place. God still loved and out of that love reached out and says, as we read in Isaiah 1, come and and sit at the table with me and let's reason things out. God says, I want to have a face-to-face with you. God participated. God became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ and didn't show up in the way that we might think or that we might want, right? We read about the disciples who, and a lot of people at that time who wanted the Messiah to show up and come in and just crush Rome and take over and turn over the government and put them in the spot of power and leadership. Visibly crushing the things that they thought, and I'm gonna shift my language, that we think are bad and make us all really powerful and in charge, affirming what we think. Yet God showed up as a baby, an infant, and went through so many of the things that I have, that you have, that we have, that humanity has gone through, so that when God sits down with us to have this face-to-face, it's not as someone who's distant and doesn't understand, but someone who can say, ah, I've been exactly where you're at, and I've overcome, and I know the way. Come with me. What does God's act, an ongoing act of incarnation, this sort of withness, with God with us say to you and I as followers of Jesus about how we are to live and be in the spaces we're in and then with the people we're with I think it says that our lives must be incarnational and therefore participatory we can never be content to be word givers only rather we must find ways to live this out with the people around us, our family and friends, and in the spaces we're in. We are the message. Our life lived in these spaces and with these people. It's what we have to offer a hurting and broken world. Just as the video clip at the beginning of this said, love. We can offer love and we can love each other. And so let our lives that are filled with so many other things from homework and jobs and details, fun things, emotional highs and lows, hard things, be marked by a withness, a participatory togetherness before that's announced with words. And that a power of a lived life will speak to the people around us. And maybe they will carry that 
And maybe this witness will go beyond who we are in our spaces and our places, both geographically and physically in presence, but also in time. In Mark 3, 13, 14, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them disciples, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Jesus calls us to be with him and then sends us out to be with others. That's what it looks like to participate, is to be with, to live out what we believe. I think when we do this like Jesus, people will hear it as the truth and love of God. I would ask you to, uh, if you have on the online dashboard uh, access to those online connection cards, if you would do me a favor and on those, um, write down either two, one or two spaces you will be in in the coming month that you can anticipate or one or two people that you will be with in the, in the, in the upcoming month. Um, and, and it could be any two that you think of, um, but, uh, and, and the reason I want you to do this is so that um, if you put it on that online connection card, it'll get to us. If you want to email us at onelifecommunitychurch at gmail.com, you can do that. Uh, you can text it to us, but um, I want to pray that when I, when I get these, I want to pray for these times and these moments that, that we will be able to live with in a participatory way the people around us and in the spaces um, we're in. I have a section of this uh, prayer of St. Patrick called St. Patrick's Lorica that I, I want to read because it, it, it just it carries this idea of participation and withness in a way that I think is really wonderful and unique. It says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me, and Christ in the ear of everyone that hears me. It's a beautiful sort of uh, prayer about Christ being with us, but also our involvement with other people and in other spaces. That says, may everyone we encounter know in our words, in our actions, everything we do, know Christ. And may we sense the same in the people that we are with. So I wanna, I wanna close with that. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, and, I'm, and the way this is gonna work is I'm gonna ask these questions. Uh, I'll pray. We'll have a moment where Brian's gonna play uh, and, and you'll have time to reflect on these questions. And then um, we'll, we'll close with a song and, and then go. Um, so here we go. Here are the questions. First, have you ever experienced an intimacy with God or the sense that God is with you? And whether that has lasted for years or it's happened once in your life that, that you know of, um, just any time you have felt uh, intimacy or, or the, the presence of God with you uh, in, in any way that you, you've sensed that. Two, who are some of the people you will be with over the next month. And I wanna, I wanna add to that, um, not just some of the people you will be with, but who, what are some of the spaces you will be in? Um, you know, Rich talked last week about embodying 
right? And what it's like to, to notice through our body the presence of God. And, and some of these things are very tied to that, very specifically like what spaces we're in. Like it means so much more the, the, the role we have in the spaces we're in and how we're participating in those. Um, I want us to have that in there too. So who are some of the people you will be with over the next month or some of the places you'll be in over the next month? And has there been anyone you've been able to be with this past month? Right? Someone who you have had that sense of togetherness, that participating in life with. And maybe it's been someone who's extended that to you and you've really sensed that, wow, that person has been there in my life and, I, and I've noticed that. And then lastly, are there people in your day-to-day life that you have a hard time being with? What does this withness of God speak to those relationships? Okay, let's pray. God, even as we started our time today and Brian uh, in, in introducing us to, to the service and inviting us to, to, to come and, and worship spoke about this idea of, of living out and being present with and, and hearing the story and how that impacts us. And um, so Lord, this, this morning, I feel like you, you've really orchestrated it. Is, I think you do every Sunday, but it seems very apparent to me this Sunday this is, this is what you have for us. And so I just pray that we would have uh, uh, open eyes and ears and hearts to see, hear, and, and be open to believing uh, who you are and that you are love and that that love has been expressed to us in Jesus Christ and that we would have that sense of intimacy with you and that we would carry that and we would be that in the spaces and in the relationships that we're in. Help us to do this, Holy Spirit. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.